0: Good to see you back tonight. I want to begin uh, looking this evening at, uh, at an Old Testament character named Joshua. So if you want to take your copy of God's Word and turn to Joshua chapter 1, that's where we'll begin. And I want us to think for a few minutes this evening about God's commission on Joshua's life. We hear people often say today, you know, God called me to do this or that. And God does that today. I can assure you that I'm a preacher because God called me to do it or I wouldn't be doing it. In fact, to be completely transparent, I tried to do something else. And uh, you will discover God's stronger than you are. And uh, so he, uh, the Holy Spirit, is persistent. And uh, he, he... calls us to do things. God might call you to be a teacher, a Sunday school teacher, a small group leader. He might call you to be uh, an evangelist, not maybe professionally, but give you a real compassion for lost people. Now, we should all have compassion for lost people, but sometimes God, well let me just put it this way: some people have the gift of gab, right? They, they don't meet a stranger, and so God might call them in their strength to be an evangelist Sometimes God calls us to do other things. In this passage, Joshua received a call from God to replace Moses. Now, that's a tall order. I mean, you know, Moses was the man, and, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but God called Joshua to replace him. Let me do a little preparatory thing here before we jump into Joshua. In the Old Testament, Many of you probably know this, you're the Sunday Night crowd, so you're the A students, but just to make sure that we, just to make sure that we're all on the same page, in the Old Testament, you basically find four kinds of books, four categories of books. Some people break them up differently, but I think these four encompass them all. You find history books in the Old Testament, books that give us history. Um, I like history. And I like when God gives us a book in the Old Testament that tells us what he did. It's a history of what happened in Israel or some other person. Because in that history, I can see the sovereignty of God. In that history, I can see from our vantage point in the 21st century, I can look back at what God did in the Old Testament and go, wow, God was really at work in his plan. God was moving nations around or moving people. And so I like the history books in the Old Testament. Uh, and it encourages us to read it and see what God did. And you, I hope tonight, and I pray tonight, that you're encouraged in seeing what God did in Joshua's life. There are books of the law in the Old Testament, predominantly the first five that, that Moses wrote. And there, there are law, moral law, lying, stealing, cheating, the Ten Commandments. And then there's ceremonial law that we're not under anymore because we're under the New Covenant. But the law is important, isn't it? I mean, the law the law tells us what God's standards are. And I wrote this paragraph in my notes. It's, in, it's, it's an example, not all inclusive. You know, the Bible says that these things are sin. Adultery, fornication, homosexuality, murder, lust, lying, stealing, cheating, greed, gluttony, disrespect of parents, blasphemy, and so on. God said those things are wrong. Just in case anyone's wondering... They're still wrong, okay? God hasn't, you know, and that isn't an all-inclusive list, but the moral law of God has not changed. And I also wrote down here, God will have the last word. So society and people can act like these things are okay, and in the end, God will remind everyone that they're not okay, okay? So the law, you find the law. We find books of poetry and wisdom in the Old Testament. You find love letters, Solomon, to his woman that he loved so much. Now, Solomon had a lot of wives, so we, you know, some of the women might have thought, I'm not sure if that letter's to me or not, but, uh, but you find poetry, right? And you find wisdom. Where, where in the world can you find wisdom that compares to the book of Proverbs? You can't. I mean, the book of Proverbs is... Uh, I have talked through the book of Proverbs more than once, verse by verse, and it takes months. It takes a long time. Why? Because it's full of wisdom for life. I mean, it is so practical. I mean, it's just incredibly practical. Here's something that'll bless you. There's there is 31 chapters in the book. If you read one every day, you can read it every month. Wisdom, Wis- the wisdom of God. And then there are, there are the Psalms, which are... or or, or poetic in worship of God and full of those things that bless your heart. And then, of course, Song of Solomon. It's called The Canticles or The Lyrics, uh, you know, a song about the woman that he loved. And then finally, there are books of prophecy in the Old Testament. We have prophets. They prophesied locally to Israel and to Judah, the neat thing I like about the prophets is again from our vantage point in the 21st century we can go back and read what they prophesied and then look a little later and go, "Yep, God did exactly what he said He's going to do." And that happened, that's a lot in the Old Testament, right? You can read it. Now, it does now there are some prophets in the Old Testament like Daniel who prophesied some things that hadn't happened yet. But let me just ask you as a reasonable person if God's batting a thousand Up to this point, pretty good chance he's going to finish the rest of it, right? So the prophets bless you when you read them. So this book, Joshua, and about Joshua is historical, obviously, because Joshua was a man who replaced Moses to lead Israel into the promised land. So this passage is about the transition of leadership. And let's just make some observations in that. Look at the first two verses of Joshua chapter 1. The Bible says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Now, before we deal with what God said to Joshua, I want to talk about Moses for a minute. Deuteronomy 34.10 said there there was not another man arose after Moses who was like him, who spoke with God face-to-face. You say, well, I I don't think Moses saw God face-to-face. Not in the sense that we think, because no man can see God and live. But what it means is when God dealt with Moses, he spoke directly to him. I mean, audibly, out of heaven. God met Moses on Mount Sinai, for goodness sakes. Said to Moses, Tell everybody, get away from the mountain. If they touch the mountain, they're gonna die, because my presence is gonna be here. Don't let the animals touch it, cause they'll die. My holiness is coming down on the mountain. The Shekinah glory shrouded at the top of the mountain, and God said, Come up here, and Moses had to walk up into that. There's a whole sermon in that about a man being called up to meet with God on top of a mountain. That was Moses. Some man, right? Moses, who who converse with God. We know the story of Moses, born in Egypt in a time when the people were enslaved in Goshen. Born in a dangerous time, Pharaoh was doing population control by killing the male Hebrew babies. And Moses was born a goodly child. As mama hid him and put him in a basket and put him in the river. And Pharaoh's daughter discovered him by God's sovereign design and adopted him and took him in and raised him as a prince of Egypt. And so, God was preparing this man, his education, his connection, the things he learned. Moses would have learned warfare. He would have learned how to manage and finances and people and how to be a prince. He learned all that. And then we just said a minute ago, God calls people to do things. God laid on the heart of Moses to be a deliverer of his people. You see, Moses knew he wasn't Egyptian. Don't don't think that Moses a servant in the palace wearing all the Egyptian clothes and looking like an Egyptian, he knew he was Hebrew. He knew who his mama was. He knew who his sister was. He knew who his family was. And they're slaves and he's living in a palace. And God laid on his heart that you deliver those people. Listen, God placed on the heart of Moses a burden for his people. Has God ever place a burden on your heart about somebody? Has God ever placed a burden on your heart about ministering to his people? the saints, the children of God, your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you hear about someone having a difficulty and God laid on your heart to minister to them somehow and meet that need? God laid on Moses' heart to be a deliverer of the people. Now Moses went about it the wrong way, as we're wont to do. He said, deliver them, God, you bet, I'm on it. I'm your man. Killed an Egyptian taskmaster for abusing one of the, one of the Hebrew slaves and he had to run for his life and exiled to Midian for 40 years. Then after, after some, some higher education in the desert, God met him at a burning bush and called him and said, now go back and tell Pharaoh let my people go. And you know the story. Moses goes back, plagues upon Egypt, the 10th plague. They get thrown out, leads them across the Red Sea, that whole deal. And then Moses is a lawgiver. We just talked about that. He goes up on the mountain and he receives the law from God. And finally, Moses was a shepherd of the people, As they crossed that wilderness, when they had a need, they came to him. When they were hurting, they came to him. When they wanted assurance, they came to him. They looked to Moses. When they were hungry, they cried out to him. When they were thirsty, they cried out to him. Now, sometimes they wanted to stone him, but he was the object of their direction when they needed something. And it was always Moses who would go before God for them and pray and God would bless them and give them the manna and the water. So Moses was a a shepherd of God's people. But then something happened. Moses died. Happens to people, don't it? No matter how how great the leader is, they they die. And, and, And Moses died and he wasn't allowed to go into the promised land. He died before they got there. You know, you remember why Moses couldn't go in. At Mirabah, when the people wanted water, the first time he spoke to the rock, and the, he struck the rock and the water came out. And the second time, God said, speak to the rock. And Moses, in his anger, struck the rock a second time and the water came out. But God said, because you disobeyed me, because you struck the rock twice, you're not going to the promised land now. God's not fooling around, is he? You get that? Do you, do you get that when you read the Old Testament? God said, I told you exactly what to do, and you didn't do it, so now you're not going in. Now, someone might say, and I'll just help you here, why in the world would God be so tough on Moses for hitting the rock twice? That rock represented Jesus. And Moses messed up the whole thing. Jesus, how many times was Jesus struck down for us? Once. And what did we learn this morning? To never happen again, right? So by Moses hitting the rock twice, he was basically illustrating, striking Christ twice and messed the whole symbol up. So God said, you're not going in. Let me read you. Matter of fact, I think I put it up on the notes and you can look in your Bible if you want to. Hold your place in Joshua and look at Deuteronomy 34. Deuteronomy 34. Listen to the the account of the death of Moses. Deuteronomy 34.1. Then Moses went up From the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah, which is across from Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead as far as Dan, all Naphtali and the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the south and the plain of the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees as far as Zor. Verse 4, Then the Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have caused you to see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. So Moses, a servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he, God, buried him in the valley of the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows his grave to this day. Now listen to verse 7. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were not dim. He didn't go to the eye doctor and he didn't wear glasses. That's amazing, isn't it? Nor was his natural vigor diminished. You know what that means? At 120 years old, he was in better health than you and me. At 120 years old, God had preserved his health. What I'm saying is he didn't die because he was sick. You getting this? He didn't die because he was in bad health. He didn't die because his body gave out. No, God said, it's time for you to come home. I got to move the people into the land, and you can't go, so come stay with me. And God had plans for another young man relative to Moses. He wasn't all that young. had plans for another man to take Moses' place and complete the plan. Notice the last verse, 8. And the children of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab thirty days, So the days of weeping and mourning for Moses ended. Let me me tell you two things that we learn from the death of Moses in this whole scenario. Because think about it. In our thinking, we think, Lord, here's this great man, Moses. He's 120 years old, but you have preserved him. He's in perfect health. He's got all of his wits about him. The people love him. The people respect him. He's a great leader. Let him lead the people into the land. Mm -mm. No, you know what we learn right here? No leader is indispensable. Think about that. There's no leader that God calls to serve in a place that's indispensable. None of us are indispensable. All of us can be replaced. And God can replace us, no problem. When it's time for us to move off the scene, as it were, God will raise up somebody else. God will put another person in the place. Why? Because God has his saints planned out and he knows who is who. Moses, this great leader, you would think, God, how can we go on without Moses? And God said, you ain't following Moses, you're following me. And I'll put somebody that'll lead you to follow me. Secondly, God's work is not going to stop if we're not there. Sometimes you think, man, if God, if that person leaves, we're done. No, we're not. No, we're not. You see, God's work is going to be accomplished whether we're here or not. In fact, the success of God's work is not dependent on you or me. We get to thinking a little bit too much of ourselves sometimes, don't we? Lord, you know what, God, I got to stay because they just won't make it without me. And God's in heaven going, no, they'll make it just fine. No, they'll be just fine because it's my plan and ain't yours. It's my work and ain't yours. It's my power that's making the thing go, not you, you see? Because who works through us to do his ministry? God does. And so we learn from the death of Moses that God's work will continue and leaders are not indispensable. I thought about the practical application of that to ministry today. In 1999, 1998, God led... Me and a handful of people led us to begin this church. Been here 23 years now. almost. Yeah, this year, 23 years. One of these days, I won't be able to be here. Now, Lord willing, I won't be anytime soon, but there'll come a time as time goes on when I won't be able to do this, whether it be physically or mentally, maybe before physically, Whatever whatever the case is, there'll come a time when I I won't be able to be the pastor of this church for whatever reason. I pray that this church is around until Jesus comes back, you know, that in this, whoever's up here preaching is a a man who's going to respect God's word and teach it and and that the church ministry will carry on until Jesus comes back. But whatever God's going to do here, he can do it with me or with not me, follow me? You might be a, a teacher of a small Bible group here, and you think, man, this class just won't make it without me. Yeah, it will. Yeah, it will. <laughs> they'll be, God will raise up another teacher, and they'll be different from you. They won't be like you because no two people are alike, but they'll be a faithful servant of God. Maybe, maybe you work in a ministry. There'll come a day when you won't be able to do that ministry anymore, but that ministry is not going to stop just because you can't be there. You say, well, then what should we do? Serve until God says, Don't serve anymore. Be like Moses. God, I'm going to lead these people until you tell me I ain't leading them. And God said, Then come up on the mountain this time, to come home. And God, God buried him, buried his body, waiting on the resurrection. And Moses went on to be with the Lord. Hey, by the way, just a little side note. Something happened in Matthew chapter 7. Do you remember what happened? Jesus went out with his disciples and went up on the mountain, and Jesus was transfigured. You remember that? And two people showed up to stand there and talk to Jesus. Do you remember who they were? Elijah. Moses and Elijah. Moses got in the land anyway, didn't he? <laughs> he wasn't in his human body, but there he is, standing up on the mountain in, in the Promised Land, talking to Jesus. I don't know how this went. God called Moses home. He died in perfect health. Moses was probably feeling bad because he didn't get to go over into the Promised Land. And God said, it'll be okay. I'll let you go over there. Jesus, my son's going to be there one day, and you just got to talk to him. See, God's good, isn't he? Moses didn't get to go over in his body, but he went. Now, that brings us to, to Joshua. So now Moses is dead. We need a new leader. If there's one thing I've noticed about God's people, God calls leaders to work among his people. Leaders at different levels, but leaders. You need leaders. And God calls this man. Look at verses 1 and 2 again. After the death of Moses, servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, rise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving them, the children of Israel. The first thing that strikes me about this is, I think Joshua must have felt incredibly alone when Moses died. And here's why I say that. If you, read, if, you, if you go back and read the Exodus and you see Moses and you see Joshua, you see the two of them together all the time. Joshua was like, uh, he was a servant of Moses, but he was like a protege. He was like a, he was like a disciple. And what I really like about Joshua is when Moses would go into the tent of meeting to seek the faces of the God, you know where Joshua, where Joshua was standing? Right outside the door. Now He couldn't go in there because God didn't call him in there. But man, he was as close as he could get. He was as close to the flap to listen. And I don't know if he could hear what God was saying to Moses and what Moses was saying to God. But what I'm saying is this, Joshua's heart was to be as close to God as Moses was. Joshua's heart was to watch Moses and to learn everything he was doing and, and to be able to do what he did. And when, and when Moses would go talk to God, the first person Moses would see standing there when he came out was Joshua. What did God say? What did God want us to do? And if you read the story of Joshua, he's a warrior for God. When they sent the spies over into the land the first time, who went? Joshua's one of them. And he come back and said to the people, what are we waiting on? They're all afraid. We're like grasshoppers. He said, we ain't no grasshoppers. Get your sword and your sticks. God said, it's ours. Let's go take it. Now it's 40 years later. Well, what better man to replace Moses? than the man who stood with Moses and the man who, who believed God like Moses and the man who, who walked alongside Moses uh, as he followed God. I have to think that Joshua knew what happened. God took Moses onto heaven, but it still must have been lonely that his mentor, the man that he had learned so much from now, was gone. And maybe, maybe Joshua doesn't really know what to do Maybe he's a little uncertain. Should I just take over? Should I just walk up and say, I'm in charge now? I mean, think about it. What's the transition of power? What's the transition of leadership? And so I like what Joshua did. It looks to me in the first two verses that he didn't do anything. He just waited. You say, well, is that bad? Not in every case. Here's what I mean by that. Sometimes in life, we run into situations and we're not sure if we were to go left or right. You know, we're praying about it. Well, I'm not sure if I should do this or not. So you know what you ought to do in those situations? Wait. Amen. Ask God. Pray. Lord, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to wait till I get some clear direction from you about what I ought to do. There's value in waiting. Now, you shouldn't wait if God clearly kicks the door open. You follow me? In other words, if God makes it absolutely clear, clear what you ought to be doing, then don't be timid. Step through the door just like the promised land. When God said go into the land, they shouldn't wait Why shouldn't they wait? Because God said what he wanted them to do. But in this case, I really think Joshua was a little uncertain. And so he waited. And his waiting was rewarded because God came to him. And God spoke to him. Now I'm always intrigued by this in the Old Testament. When it says God spoke to somebody, I always want to know how. God spoke to people to a donkey before, Right? He spoke to animals. So how did God speak to him? I don't know. It doesn't say. I don't know if God spoke to him audibly like he did Moses. I don't know if he he gave him a dream or a vision. I don't know if an angel showed up and said, hey, God's got a word for you. I don't know because it doesn't say. But the fact is God spoke to Joshua and he knew it was God. You know God speaks to us today. I don't, now it's not saying that God can't. I don't believe God speaks audibly to people like he did in the Old Testament. And I don't believe he necessarily as a practice sends angels or visions or dreams to people. You know why? Because we have a completed canon of scripture now. This this book, the Bible, we were just talking about this out there in the foyer a minute ago, Roger and Larry and I, no matter who the human instrument was that penned this, the Holy Spirit wrote it. So it doesn't matter, you know, if we know who the author of the book was. The Holy Spirit wrote this book. God himself wrote this book. God said everything to us we need to know in this book. If you want to know about God, you want to know what his will for you is, just read this book. And if you're saved, the Holy Spirit who lives in you will teach you what he said in this book. So, my point is I believe that if God did give us a vision or spoke to us out of heaven, he's not going to tell us anything different than what's in that book. That's, that's my conviction. Now, in the Old Testament, it wasn't so. They didn't have the full revelation. So God speaks to him Today, if we want to hear from God, you need to read this book. And the conviction of the Holy Spirit will guide us in matters that we're, that we're not really certain about. But through this book, God will speak to you and the Holy Spirit will speak to you second thing we notice here, I think Joshua was lonely and he wasn't sure what to do, but I like God's word to him. He said, "Joshua, I want you to move I want you to move the people into the land, cross the Jordan, go into the land, and God reminded him of the promise. He said, "Because I gave you this land. I gave you this land." Now the critic might say, "Well, God gave them the land, and there's a bunch of people living there already. We'll just call them Canaanites. There's a whole bunch of ites in there, but collectively, they're Canaanites, okay? And you say, well, I've heard this attack against God, so we'll just deal with it right here. How unfair of God to send Israel into a place where people already have cities and capture and take their cities and destroy them and kill them. What kind of God is that? I'm going to tell you what kind of God that is. 400 years before Israel showed up on the Jordan River, God warned them. 400 years. God, 400 years before the people came out of Egypt and showed up on the Jordan River to judge God, using them as an instrument of judgment. and God said, if you don't repent, you got 400 years. Guess what? 400 years ticked by, nobody repented, and guess who's standing on the Jordan? God's people. And God said, I'm going to take the land away from you. You say, well, does God have a right to do that? Mm, Yeah. Listen to this, Psalm 24, verses 1 and 2. Listen to this. The earth is the Lord's. That pretty much takes care of it, doesn't it? Ownership. The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell in it. God owns the planet. He owns the stars. He owns the universe and he owns you and he owns me. You know why? Because he created us. As Vernon McGee used to say, when you can create your own universe and you make your own rules, but you can't because you're not God. So God said, I promised you this land, and because I'm God and because I own everything, I'm giving it to you. And God's judgment on the Canaanites was just. It was just. You understand that? It wasn't evil, it wasn't wicked, it wasn't wrong. It was just. Just as every person who rejects Christ and suffers an eternal judgment of God in hell receives just reward for their deeds. Amen. It's justice. One of the things I've noticed in society today, maybe you've noticed it too, there continues to be a decreasing amount of justice in the world. Wickedness seems to flourish And nobody wants to stand up and say, that is wrong, knock it off. Right? Do we agree there's right and wrong in life? And we are not squishing somebody's personality to go, that's flat out wrong, I don't want to see you do it no more. And if you do, I'm going to arrest you and take away your freedoms. But when we don't do that, the Bible says, because there's a lack of justice, and quick retribution for evil, they're emboldened. Take that for what it's worth, but that's what the Bible says. and You know, the Bible's never wrong. So there you go. Now the promise. Look at verses 3 to 5 with me for a moment. God recounts to Joshua the promise that he gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and and all down the line. He said, Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon I have given you. As I said to Moses, "From the wilderness and this Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites into the Great sea, toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory." Now look at verse five, he says to Joshua, "This man who needed some encouragement, this man who might fell alone. God said, "No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Boy, now that's a promise. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Man, that's a good word, isn't it? That's a good word to a man who just lost his best friend, his mentor, the guy he looked to. God said, you don't need to look to Moses anymore. I'm going to be with you, and I'm not going to let you fail. And let's start with the first thing. God said, look over there at that land. It is all yours. In other words, God said, you hadn't gone over there and possessed it yet, but I've already determined that it's yours. And because I've already said it's yours, all you got to do is walk over there and take it. Kind of like the Christian life, isn't it? God said, I saved you. And by the way, here's this truckload of blessings that go with being saved. I've already decided that they're yours. I've already given them to you. All you got to do is go take them. And what do we do? Well, oh, God, I don't know if I would go across Jordan. Oh, God, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. You know, I know you said you gave it to me, but I don't know if I can uh, appropriate all that. I don't know if I can use all them blessings, God. I don't know. Same thing you're saying to Joshua right here. Look, I've already given you the land. It doesn't matter who's living over there. Doesn't matter how big the walls in Jericho are, doesn't matter how many walls cities they are, doesn't matter how trained their soldiers are, how skilled they are in fighting, God said, I gave it to you, and not only have I given it to you, but none of them are gonna be able to stand in front of you your whole life. Man, that's that's some encouragement. Amen. You know the word of God is the same as it was yesterday. Amen. Same for us today. All the promises that God gave us as being Christians are just as true. We talked about them this morning, the complete and total forgiveness of sin. It's amazing to me how many Christians still struggle with them I've forgiven. Listen, how, how many different ways does God have to say it? How many times does he have to say it? I know Satan tries to discourage us by reminding us of our failures, and, and Satan likes to remind us of how weak we are and, and how, you know, you know how it goes, man, the doubts and that stuff. Mm. God himself lives in you and if God's for you, who can be against you? Amen. I mean, so there you go, right? Same promise as Joshua. The Holy Spirit lives in us. We're adopted into the family of God. What a blessing. Now, two promises God gave him here. Number one, you will be victorious, period. That's what God means when he says no man will be able to stand before you your whole life. You will be victorious. Joshua, if you trust me, and lead these people across that river, I promise you, you will win. I promise you, you will defeat them. I promise you, I will not let you be defeated. What's left when God says that to us? What's left to do? Get your stuff and get across the river. Now, mean, that, that's all there's left to do. Now, you, now, listen, let's be real about it. These people who came out of Egypt and walked around the desert for 40 years, they probably don't have a sword among every ten men, okay? They don't have weapons, they don't have siege equipment, they don't have trebuchets that throw rocks at they don't they don't have any of that stuff. They don't have battering rams, they don't have any military training. The only guy who was a prince and knew anything about fighting just died. So, I mean, they they're are a bunch of people who were who who worked in, in slavery in Egypt and for 40 years walked around in the desert, and now God says to Joshua, I want you to take these people, go across there and whoop all them people. Man, that takes some faith, wouldn't it? Take some faith. But that's what God said. And God said, if you go over there, I won't let them defeat you. I won't let them hurt you. Sometimes you got to step out on faith and trust what God said even when it don't look easy. You know what I mean? Even when it doesn't look easy. Because in our minds, we can come up with a hundred reasons why we shouldn't do that. Right? Well, God, you know, I'm not ready. Uh, I'm not ready and the people aren't ready and man, we need the whole training. I need to I need to teach them how to walk in, in, in formation and get them to march. And I, and I need to, you know, we need to whittle some more sticks and make some spears. And we need to pick up some rocks and train, train the, the, the sling throwers. And God, there's just a lot we need to do. I need to get some, some generals and some lieutenants and some sergeants. And we need, to, we need to get ready to go over there. And God didn't tell them to do any of that. God says, just get your stuff and go over there. You know, in the spiritual realm, let me hit this real quick. It's kind of like that today, isn't it? Paul said to the Ephesians in Ephesians six twelve, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and against rulers of darkness in this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Paul said, we're in just as real a conflict as Joshua was when he crossed the river. We're in a spiritual warfare. And I don't know about you, but the more you try to live for Jesus, the more fierce the battle gets. But you know what God has said to us? He said, if you trust me, you're going to come out victorious. If you trust me, you're going to win. Let me read you this. And you know these passages, and I don't want to take the time to turn there. Listen to Romans 8.31. Man, one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. Listen to this. Paul said, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Well, we could just stop right there, right? I mean, we could just stop there and go, well, you know what? God's for me because what we learned this morning. I got a mediator, a high priest who's sitting at the right hand of the Father who's on my side all the time. So we could stop right there. If God's for me, who can be against me? Well, the whole world can be against me, but they can't win because I got God on my side. But listen to this, Paul went on to say, he who did not spare his own son, meaning he was willing to give Jesus to die for us, but delivered him for all of us, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Now you see his reasoning? If God was willing to give his son to die for us, who in the world thinks he isn't going to finish what he started and give us all that he promised? Because he did the greater first. All right, listen to what I said, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Here's what he's saying. Who can bring an accusation of God against us because God is the very one, the very judge who's already said we're righteous. There's no higher judge than Jesus. Amen. So when you go to Jesus to bring an accusation against us, he goes, no, nah, I already took care of that. There's no appeal because he already saved us. Now listen to what else he says. Who is he who condemns? Listen. It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of the God, who also make intercession for us. In other words, now he's arguing from this point. The one who condemn us, who can condemn us, has already saved us. So there's nobody left to condemn us. Again, there's no higher court. There's, no, there's nobody else to condemn us because the one who could condemn us has already said, I've saved you and forgave you so you're not condemned anymore. And Remember Paul said there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay, listen to this. Then he goes into this part, which I really like. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we're killed all the day long. We were counted as sheep to slaughter. Yet in all these things, listen to this now, we are more, more than conquerors in him who saved us. Paul said, I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know what he said in all that? Get your stuff and get across the river. Get get your stuff and do what God calls you to do and don't be afraid. Because you can't lose if you do what God said to do because he's with you he's going to help you. And that's what he said to Joshua. That's what he said to encourage Joshua. Secondly, God said to Joshua, I will never forsake you. I'll never leave you. There are many interpretations because of the phrase in the Hebrew, but one of them that I like says, I will not be weak towards you, Joshua. I'll be strong towards you. And what he was saying to Joshua is in the same way I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you no less than that. I'll be just as strong for you, just as encouraging for you. Well, I would have encouraged Joshua too, because what did he see Moses do? All kinds of stuff. And God used Moses to do it. Now, let me close with this. Then God gives Joshua probably the most important thing of this whole passage. He gives him the recipe for success. This part we need a lot, Okay. And it's the same today, so listen to it very carefully. Look at verse 6. He says to Joshua, he just promised him, Everywhere your foot touches is yours. Just go over and take it. Verse 6 Be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide an inheritance, the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Verse 7 Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you, do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. Verse 8, this book of the law pause right there, I said this morning, there are, there are heretics who say the law wasn't written until centuries later after Moses and those guys no, the Bible's very clear right here, there was a book it was already recorded, Moses already wrote it down before he died Listen to what he said in verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe it to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Man, that's so good. I mean, that's really good. Two things he said bring success, Joshua. If you do two things, nobody will be able to slow you down, man. Two things and you'll walk through the land. And he did. Read the history. Joshua split the land in half and defeated everybody in front of him. You know how he did it? Number one, God said, be courageous. What's that mean? Believe me. God said to him, believe me. Have faith and let that faith move your feet. Because you trust me, go do what I told you to do. Don't be afraid of the people in Jericho. Don't be afraid of the the Hittites and the Moabites and all the otherites that come out to fight with you. And listen to me, when they went over there and defeated Jericho, the rest of the Canaanites all made a coalition and they came after him in force. I mean, they all got together and they said, we got to wipe these people out. But they didn't realize they were fighting against God, not Joshua. And so he said to Joshua, You go over there. Then, then here's the key to it all. You ready? God said, Keep my law. Translated to today, obey my word. God said, Don't turn to the left, don't turn to the right, but you read the law. You read this book that Moses gave you of my law, and you obey it. And he told him to do three things with it. Watch this. He said, Speak it always. Let your speech be flavored with my words. Speak it. Teach it. As the leader, teach it to the people. Number two, meditate on it day and night. What does that mean? That means more than read it. That means read it and think about it. It means read it and ponder it. Romans 8 there this week when I was writing this. I was in my office all by myself. I don't even think Sherry was home. I was home by myself and I'm, I'm writing. And when I was studying this, it came to my mind what Paul said about God's promise to us. So I went over and I started reading it. Man, I started weeping. I was, I, even now it makes me, I was thinking of, of man, that God would say to us, God would say to us, if I'm for you, who can be against you? And that Paul would say, "What well, can separate us from the love of God. And he lists all these things. And he said, no, we're more than conquerors over all these things. And I think about how many things in life discourage us and get us down and make us depressed and get us sad. Shame on us. Shame on us. God said to Joshua, listen, be courageous. And number two, Obey my word, speak it, meditate on it. And that's what it means to meditate on it. Read it and let let God apply it to your heart. Let it make a difference in how you live. Meditate on it. And then number three, flat out obey it. That's another thing we have a hard time with in society. Do what you're supposed to do. Do right. Obey what God says. Now, we can't do it perfectly because we're all messed up, even after we're saved. But have a passion in our hearts that, God, I want to do what you said. God, I know I can never do it perfectly. and I'm always going to mess up and always come back and say, I'm sorry. And God, I want to do better. But have a passion to obey. God will honor that. God understands our weaknesses. He understands our frailty. He's already taken care of all that. Where there's a problem is when we choose not to obey. We choose to be arrogant, and rebellious. God said to Joshua, Listen, buddy, here's how you can be successful. Do what I tell you, trust me, and hide my word in your heart that you don't sin against me, as David would say. Hide my word in your heart. Pretty good advice for us, isn't it? Pretty good advice. No matter what God's called you to do, where He's called you to serve, and by the way, if God hadn't replaced you yet, get busy. If God hadn't replaced you, if you can still serve somewhere, somehow, pray and minister to people, get busy. Because when God wants you to stop, he'll let you know. Moses, come up here on the mountain, buddy, you're done. If God hadn't said, call him up on the mountain yet, get busy, okay? That's what we're we'll going to do. Trust him, hide his word in your heart, and serve him. Let's pray. Father, what a lesson for us. What a message for us. God, help us to learn from what you said to Joshua. Help me to learn, God. Help me to understand. Help me to apply it to my life. Father, maybe there's somebody here and watching this online or tonight and they're not sure they're saved. God, there's no way to really trust unless we begin with being saved. That's the first thing we need to do and trust. We need to believe you and ask you to save us, God, and put our faith in you. I pray tonight, if there's a lost man or woman, young person, boy or girl who will come under the hearing of this word, that God, you'll save them. And help us, God, to hide your word in our heart. Help us, God, to be committed and be what you've called us to be. Help us, God, to obey. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. As we stand and the music plays, if I can help you, you come on the first verse. I'll be right down front. Sunday night and have fellowship with you. Let's pray together before we go. God, thank you for today. It's been a great day of worship and and studying your word. Lord, help us to go out and, and be different than when we came in. Lord, help us to be different this week.